Slavery is back. In fact, it was never abolished. The 13th Amendment to the U.S. Constitution abolished slavery, except in prison. At the current rate of incarceration, by the year 2010, the majority of all African-American men between 18 and 40 will be in prison. The state as their captor. The prison begins after, uh, after slavery. You know, you had all these people on all these plantations, all these farms who are making money. America is built on the exploitation of black labor. America is built on slave labor. So slavery ends and suddenly the slave codes turn into black codes, right? Because the 13th Amendment abolishes slavery, right? But it only abolishes slavery except under the condition of prison. In other words, if you commit a crime, if you're incarcerated, according to the 13th Amendment, slavery is still allowed. So you're technically a slave if you're in prison. Absolutely. You can legally be told what to do. Your labor can be forced, etc. So if... If, no, if, if nobody's a, if you, So think about it like this You need slaves to keep the economy going You don't have slaves anymore Unless people commit a crime So what do you do? You make everything a crime So suddenly the slave codes became the black codes So now Black people can be arrested for vagrancy For standing outside For cursing in front of a woman For being out of town without a job All of these things which are fairly arbitrary crimes Or if crimes at all They take them and they throw them back into the prison and then they have something called the convict lease system, where the prison can lease the convicts out to the same plantations they left to do the same work they did as slaves. So now the slaves have become free only to become slaves again through prison. And that is wow. the system that we're dealing with right now, a, a, a new version of the convict lease system. And that's why labor is exploited, and that's why prisons have become even more for profit. That's why we see more privatization, because people because make, a people money, make, make a money in this country on exploited country labor, and this is one example. Change your mind. Stop calling it the things that it is not. It's not mass incarceration. It's not all those things I mentioned before. What is it? Slavery. What do we want to hand? Slavery. What are we fighting? Slavery.
the American flag to be tagged with three marks of the sixes. Cause they used to hang us in the park by the fences. Don't care about the suffixes or prefixes. Slavery never was abolished, they remixed it. The proclamation was a prop for the clan. They freed us, but with no crops and no land. So they did free labor when they let us bleed in the can. Cause we were sourced to crime when trying to feed the fam. Had brushes with the law, stay consistent. Been arrested 14 times, no conviction. Futurism came out swinging, sunny listing. And I represented myself, that boy different. My folks built this country, how we lazy. And we bring in all of the culture, cause we wavy. Me work for 33 cents, you must be crazy. The government wants some of my time, they got to pay me. Michelle Alexander with the new Jim Crow. Saw Abish 13th and I was like, whoa. Black codes, they weren't codified. Involuntary servitude, I was victimized. So I became the sharecropper. Couldn't pay the fee, live a life of vagrancy. Couldn't pay the debt of a sharecropper. And now I'm in the penitentiary. I need that real emancipation. No slavery, don't exploit my situation. No progress without struggle like growth. In November's ballot question, thanks to FIBO. Hurt the bottom line of them corporations. No more making money off incarceration. I'm in the 13th with no hesitation. So I can talk about my mule and my reparations. Uncle the father snatched out of the home. Uh, leaving mothers and children all alone. Taking collect calls over their telephones and for... Black people, Black such a familiar song, not a crack baby, but was born in the 80s. Reagan made a deal to keep my family having great needs. Seven uncles, most of them were doing time. All was a flash before my eyes, we don't say cheap. Got no manners, so most of my homies take pleas. Get released to keep their freedom, gotta pay fees. See the orange uniform is for the worst team. Coming for the bottom, play it off like an AC. Rules like potato salad, man, who made these? One out of every four in prison skin is like me. Decades after they implemented the third. Numb to the pain like we chugging Malibu Bay. Vive tu vida, tienes un destino. Óyeme y coge de este consejo. Tú eres libre desde tu creación. Deja que tu existencia y tu presencia en tu tan amor y alumbre la tierra. Y ay, cómo nos vamos a elevar. No hay que sufrir y no hay que llorar. Marchen hacia adelante como un elefante. Pa'lante en la lucha y echamos pa'lante. No es verdad si no es en libertad. No es verdad si no es en libertad. Before Christopher sailed the harbor, his story that he tells, Jesus tells a monster. And even in those tales of his story, they don't never talk about how they came to conquer. What about the Olmecs? Wisdom of the Toltecs. Gold tip arrowheads to stretch them like a bow flex. Powers in the march, the artists in the protest. Jim Crow laws and you can hang them by the throat next. 13th Amendment, the dirt is extensive. Based on principles, some folks be suspension. Even the school systems will school you to miss this. And this is how I move, how I move with the business. This is endless. This is endless. This is endless. Abolition. You just heard a clip called Slavery is Back, followed by an excerpt of journalist and abolitionist Mark Lamont Hill during the documentary 13th. That was followed by the hip-hop release Amend 13th Cypher, which is a project featuring T.P., Tony Perkins, Ibn Sharif Shakur, Crisis, Chris Gadsden, Keith Chandler, Lorenzo P., 
and spearheaded by amended 13th NJ leader, lead organizer and Abolished Slavery National Network member, Dennis Feebo. We've played this track before, and we're going to play it many more times in the future because these artists capture the essence of the slavery abolitionist movement that continues to grow even amidst all the other turmoil happening in the U.S. Peace and blessings be upon you, and welcome to Abolition Today, a weekly syndicated online radio program with specific focus on modern slavery as it is practiced through the 13th Amendment to the United States Constitution and by for-profit prisons worldwide. We air live every Sunday, 7 p.m. Eastern, 6 Central, and 4 Pacific. Live streams and archived podcasts are available at abolitiontoday.org and all of your favorite podcast platforms such as Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and CastBox. My name is Yusuf Hassan, and I'm flying solo this week, holding down the fort to free up some time for my brother Max Parkas to spread the abolitionist method message on other platforms and for him to hopefully get some rest. Both Max and I have spread ourselves super thin in efforts to reach as many people as possible about slavery abolition. So, while you're stuck with me for the next three weeks, I promise not to break anything. Last week, we discussed how the exception clause of the 13th Amendment is used to exploit families of the incarcerated through telephone fees with companies such as Global Tel Link, emails, stamps, MP3 players through JPay, commissary through Kifi, visitation fees, and health services for the incarcerated. Tonight, we reflect on the highlights and lowlights from some of our earliest episodes since our broadcast began back on March 15, 2020. It's hard to believe that six months, actually 28 episodes of Abolition Today have already come and gone. For the benefit of our new listeners and followers, we're going to play a few clips from episodes one through four that summarize our progress. Many may expect us to address the death of Ruth Bader Ginsburg and the pending Supreme Court appointment of Amy Coney Barrett. And we understand the feelings people have for RBG and the legacy she leaves behind. Yes, she was a stalwart for women's rights. She was the driving force behind many of the quote-unquote liberal-leaning decisions handed down by the Supreme Court. However, as abolitionists, we also don't lose sight that no matter whether the court has had a conservative, a liberal, or any other designation, the court has always ruled against those incarcerated seeking liberation from slavery conditions within the prisons and has protected those private corporate entities who warehouse and exploit the labor of those incarcerated. In a future episode, I intend to put the Supreme Court for its complicity in human rights violations against those in prisons. So stay tuned for that. But I digress. I want to turn back the hands of time. Three of our first four episodes were entitled Countering the Propaganda, Motives and Intentions, and Understanding and Truth-Telling. I'm going to play a segment from episode two that summarizes those episodes. So without further ado, this is called Countering the Propaganda, That Prison is Not Slavery. It's a pretty long clip, but you'll understand after you listen to it why I decided to include the entire clip along with the commentary that Max and I uh, had after the, the clip played. 
So again, countering the propaganda that prison slavery, that prison is not slavery. Right, Abolition. So Abolition. I want to get into last week's conversation, and I got to play a few clips uh, about it. You know, as I said, Senate uh, Representative John Lesh made some bold statements. Uh, he said yeah. a that slavery. He said that prisons don't buy and sell human beings. He said that you can't force prisoners to work. As a matter of fact, verbatim, I think he said, at the end of the day, you can't make anybody do anything. I mean, (laughs) so far from the truth. So give me a second. Let me get up here to the control panel. And I am going to play first. In his own words, Representative John Lesh, this is what he said, and we want to counter these perspectives that are commonly accepted as true. There you go. Hi, everyone. I'm State Representative John Lesh, and we're here today uh, to introduce the constitutional amendment that would ban slavery from the Minnesota Constitution. Okay. A question for the legislators who are working on this. Have you faced any opposition so far? Uh, no, we were waiting to, uh, for a word from the Department of Corrections because a common question was, what does this mean for uh, prison labor? Um, and we had several answers for that first, which it's, it's not the same. Slavery is not the same as uh, being sentenced to prison and, and having to work. Um, it's not buying or selling of a human being, and at the end of the day, you really cannot force someone to do something in prison. Um, however, this morning, the Department of Corrections got back to us and said that they are in support of the amendment, so we were really pleased to hear that. Um, but I have not heard any or of any other organized opposition. <laughs> well, there oh, it is man. in his own words, you see. And for our listeners, this is a common held uh, misconception about what we're dealing with. So let's start with the first thing that he mentioned, and he said that slavery is not the same as prison labor. That's a, a representative in the you know, from the House of Representatives acting like he doesn't know that we have and had had convict leasing in this country. <laughs> I mean, from 1865 right. until today, we have had convict leasing. It was allegedly Absolutely. abolished in 1928 or 1921, depending on who, what historians you're reading, after a cave-in happened in Alabama that killed like 148 black men and women and children who had been sentenced basically to death to be worked to death in these mines. And a cave-in occurred, uh, the whole lot of them, and the world was outraged and insisted that the U.S. stop using convict leasing. But I want to play a clip directly from PBS, and it was the introduction of the book and film by the name Slavery by Another Name. So listen to this as a counter. Now a history of forced labor after the Civil War. A new documentary that airs tonight on PBS tells the story of how American citizens freed by the 13th Amendment to the Constitution remained under lock and key for decades afterward. 
Slavery by Another Name, based on the Pulitzer Prize-winning book of the same name, tells the story of the thousands of African Americans who were arrested on trumped-up charges and forced to work as convict labor. In many cases, they were sent to the South's coal mines, including some owned by businessman and former slave owner John Milner. Historians and actors describe it in this excerpt. After emancipation, industrialists replaced slaves with convicts, acquiring thousands from state and county governments. You can't drive free labor the same way that you can force prisoners to mine five tons of coal a day. And this is why people like Milner wanted prisoners in his coal mines. He saw them as a great source of profit, and he didn't have to worry about labor disputes. He didn't have to worry about labor disputes. This was convict leasing happening in modern America. And she made an error by saying thousands. It was hundreds of thousands who were incarcerated. Between the period of the emancipation and the 13th Amendment, uh, 1863, 1865, and 1868, the prisons in the South went from 90% white populated to 90% black populated. And the specific reason that this transfer of racial occupancy occurred is because of convict leasing. Big, big business in the United States. Slavery continued in Alabama. In Alabama of the Civil War, I believe 90% of the revenue came from slavery. At the, uh, by 18... 79 or so, 75, I'll get the information and share it. Their wealth came from, 80% of it came from convict leasing. So they went from slavery to convict leasing, and their revenue barely changed. You see? Right. That's, that's exactly it. And we see that that carried on generation after generation, convict leasing, Unicor, whether we want to call them prison industrial con, uh, complex, it just kept taking on different names, different names, slavery by another name. We saw it continue, and it continues to this very day that we still have it going on. You know, next week I think I'm going to come with the list of the top 50 companies that actually benefit from having slave labor. And I'm just going to focus on the companies where the prisoners are getting no money, not even talking about the ones that make $0.25, cents, $0.35. Cents. We're going to just focus on the ones that are getting absolutely nothing for it, and they'll be sent to solitary if they don't work to debunk the you-can't-force-people-to-work. As you explained earlier about these prison companies being traded globally on NASDAQ and in Tokyo and uh, the New York, wherever it's being, stocks are being sold, they're sold publicly. Right. We've explained in last week's episode that when you're buying these stocks, you're buying the idea that these beds would be filled with people. So in essence, you're buying people. But he mentioned representative. Yeah, and and their labor, which is really like gravy because their main income comes from warehousing bodies. So every bed is worth X amount of dollars 
per right. year. Right. So one of the statements that John Les, Representative John Les, said, the next one was that slavery, uh, well, no, prisons don't buy and sell human beings. Correct. I want to play a clip from Brave New World called Immigrants for Sale. Apparently, a journalist snuck into an auction of the Bill Clayton Detention Center in Littleville, Texas. Yeah, and, that's a great clip. Right. Please, for, it is literally please, please, an please. auction of human beings being sold by the prisons in their own words. So without further ado, here you go. The detention center that I'm going to sell today really is state-of-the-art. It's as good as it can possibly get. You have the people coming into that pipeline, so you have an endless supply of product. No matter what your business is, what you're looking for, we will have a steady supply of people in America to fill this facility. I'm five million, you want to bid five million, five. I am five million dollars, you want to bid five million, five. Five million, you want to bid five million, five. Again, that's from Brave New World, or Bra- yeah, Brave New World, and it's called Immigrants for Sale. That's just a small clip of it. You literally heard this prison auctioneer tell his potential buyers mm-hmm. that no matter what your business is or what you're trying to achieve, there will be a steady supply steady of supply. product. He called them freaking product. There'll be a steady supply of product in America to fill this prison. That was the selling point. And the bidding started at $5 million. Yusuf? Yeah, and, you know, another thing that we have to take into account is these private companies have contracts with state and federal prisons to house 80 to 100% or have 80 to 100% capacity that it's mandatory upon the state and the federal government to house 80 to 100% capacity or they can sue them for these empty beds and you know the breakdown to the cost per bed what is it up to now, Max? Somewhere in the forty thousands per bed per year per prison. Well, it prison? depends on what state you're in. The cost to incarcerate a single adult, which is much less than a child, sixteen, fifteen years old, ranges from around twenty-five to thirty thousand dollars a year in Florida, which is the fast food restaurant of prisons, to as right. much as a quarter of a million dollars a year in Rikers Island. Right. So the northern states actually make more money on slavery than the southern states. And then we have to ask the question, how can you guarantee me 80% to 100% capacity? And that's what they do. In Arizona, they have a 100% capacity contract for 25 years, guaranteeing that those beds will be filled. Colorado had it at one time. I think they uh, canceled their contract, but they also have what's called a 
low crime tax, which is passed on to the taxpayer. And if those beds are not filled, the taxpayer has to make up the difference in what the prison would have made. It's amazing. And, you know, there was one other thing I wanted to point out uh, about when he said that prisoners are not being forced to work. I'm going to play a clip about that, but I want to read something. And this comes from the United Nations Standard Minimum Rules for the Treatment of Prisoners. Number two, Mm -hmm. all prisoners under sentence shall be required to work subject to their physical and mental fitness as determined by the medical officer. It's all stated very clearly in the ACA standards. Correctional Mm -hmm. standards promulgated by the American Correctional Association provide that sentence inmates who are generally housed in maximum, medium, or minimum security prisons be required to work and be paid for that work. Some states require, as with Arizona, all able-bodied inmates to work. That's a requirement right there in their rules in the American Correctional Association. Yeah, that sounds forced to me. That doesn't sound like I have, if if I'm there, it doesn't sound like I have an option as to whether or not I want to work. You don't. There is no option as, well, you know what, let's just play the next clip, next clip, which will explain it further. And then we got one more clip after that, a little bit of something I want to talk about, and we'll go to the next segment. This comes okay. from John Oliver, and it's about forced prison labor. But there are some major differences between the jobs people do in prison and the ones they do on the outside, particularly when it comes to money. The average wage in prison is around 63 cents per hour. And remember, that's the average. So that means there are states where prisoners make considerably less. In Texas, Georgia, Arkansas, and Alabama, prisoners are not paid for their work at all. And in some places, they're required to work under threat of disciplinary action. If they say, no, I'm not going to work, they can write you up for that. They can send you to solitary for that. That's dumb act slavery. To to work for free and then they can can put you in solitary if you don't work or write you up for not working for free. Why is that not slavery? Yeah, that's not good because why is that not slavery? It's one of those questions that even if you have to ask it, something has already gone very wrong. Like, how many swastika tattoos? Or, which of mommy's nightstand drawers did you open? Things are already bad. We just need to figure out how bad. And the answer to why is this not slavery is, well, it's not exactly not slavery. Because it turns out treating prisoners as slaves is literally written into the Constitution. The 13th Amendment states that slavery is abolished except as a punishment for a crime. And the amendment abolishing slavery is really not the one that you want to suddenly include the word except. And look, I I know that to many, inmates are not a naturally sympathetic group of people. In in fact, when there was a push to get a higher wage for those working behind bars a few years ago, these people on Fox found it hilarious. Inmates behind bars are now suing for the minimum wage for the work they're doing behind bars. Should that be a crime? He says he deserves minimum wage. 
as if crime pays. Why let crime pay? Exactly. Crime should not pay. It's very simple. Common sense is very simple. Common sense is very simple. Again, that's from John Oliver in the depth about forced prison labor. And he's one of the most well-versed people I know about this system. He has, well, we've got a list from his program where he covers every aspect of modern-day slavery. And he points out right there, the 13th Amendment is not the place that you suddenly want to have an exception clause. And you got conservatives making a big joke out of slave labor. Right. And for those that want to see the entire clip that's on YouTube, it's listed as prison labor last week tonight with John Oliver. You can see the entire clip. I believe it's about 18 or 19 minutes. Very good clip. I try to keep all of the videos and news video clips uh, on our YouTube page for abolitionists, Abolition Today, but we need to get 100 subscribers before we can get the uh, name Abolition Today under YouTube.com. So if you get a chance, check us out on Facebook at Abolition Today. Click the YouTube links that we're providing and subscribe. All right, I got one more to close this out, Yusuf. We're going to drive it the final nail in this coffin of these misconceptions and wrong thinking about what we're dealing with with prison slavery. What I'm about to No, you're doing great. You're laying it out before the jury. Make it plain. The jury is listening. What I'm about to play for you is a report on a commercial that was made by the prison industry in order to appeal to private industry to stop using public labor and start using prison labor. In the U.S., the market for cheap labor is booming behind bars. In the last 15 years, partnership between prisons and private manufacturers has increased significantly. They're becoming America's very own Chinese-style manufacturing line behind prison walls. Prisons, in fact, advertise themselves as such, as an alternative to outsourcing cheap labor to China or elsewhere. On the web, we came across this pitch that prisons prepared to persuade private sector companies to come and do business with them. Take a look. There is not enough uh, folks that will do this type of work in this country. So therefore, we're bringing, bringing back this industry that historically has been going out of this country and we're putting it you know, inside the walls. And it's, it's absolutely a, a perfect idea. I have a workforce that does not have car problems or babysitting problems, etc. They're always here and they're always willing to come to work. Bring your business to our labor. A wide variety of industries take advantage of prison labor. Among many other things, prisoners make clothing, textiles, electronics, furniture, and even solar panels. Just as we're trying to get China to stop uh, with their prison labor, ours is at the same time increasing. Hundreds of companies have used prison labor directly or through subcontractors, including Microsoft, Boeing, Starbucks, Victoria's Secret, and others. They qualify for federal tax breaks. Uh, they can get uh, recompensated up to 40% of the wages that they paid to these inmates. We as taxpayers, we have to house, feed, and provide medical care and, and everything for all of these inmates. 
We do this as taxpayers. It comes out of the, the tax pool. And that keeps the actual prison workforce healthy and in shape to go out and perform these jobs for these private companies. Hard working and reliable. Inmates show up for work every day voluntarily. Work in prison is mandatory, and the choice many inmates have is whether to work for a government-run prison industry for less than a dollar an hour, or a private one for a minimum wage of around six dollars. Unicor is a government-owned corporation that uses prison labor to produce all kinds of goods, mainly for other government agencies. 175 different types of products and services. You see the variety listed on their website. They, too, partner up with private firms now. Last year, Unicor's revenue reached $900 million. As far as private prisons are concerned, two of the country's biggest prison corporations made $3.3 billion last year alone. Private prisons are traded on the New York Stock Exchange. They are for-profit companies. And the uh, savings that they reap from using inmate labor um, go to their bottom line. It's money they otherwise don't have to spend in order to keep the facility run. Large prison populations and harsh sentences result in greater profits. America's three major private prison companies spend around $45 million over the past 10 years on lobbying state and federal governments for supporting immigrant detention, mandatory minimum sentences, three strikes laws, and other legislative measures that contribute to the growth of America's gigantic prison population. The U.S. now holds more people behind bars than any other nation. More than two million. That's one quarter of all prisoners in the world. From a cost-effectiveness point of view, the $45 million that private prisons have reportedly spent over the past decade lobbying to keep prisons full is peanuts compared to the billions that they make every year. One can argue about the many causes and effects of America's skyrocketing incarceration rate, but since prisons became a for-profit industry in the U.S. 30 years ago, the number of prisoners has gone up dramatically. Not to say that it was the only cause behind the spike, but many argue it was part of it. And now with the cheap labor market expanding behind American bars, one is wondering whether the justice system in the U.S. is adopting market values. There you have it. I think uh, we killed that horse. <laughs> <laughs> in their own words, we had the slave yeah. auction happening in modern society in their own words. We had the commercial where they're appealing to private business to use slave labor talking about we got a workforce that don't have days off they don't have babysitting problems they don't have transportation problems and they're willing and ready to work every day <laughs> i want to get into last week's conversation and i got to play a few clips uh about it you know as i said senate a, a representative john lesh made some bold statements uh, he said yeah. a that slavery, he said, that prisons don't buy and sell human beings. He said that you can't force prisoners to work. As a matter of fact, verbatim, I think he said, at the end of the day, you can't make anybody do anything. I mean, <laughs> so far from the truth. So give me a second. Let me get up here to the control panel. And I am going to play first, in his own words, Representative John Lesh. This is what he said, and we want to counter these perspectives that are commonly accepted as true. Here you go. 
everyone, I'm State Representative John Lesh, and we're here today uh, to introduce the constitutional amendment that would ban slavery from the Minnesota Constitution. Okay. A question for the legislators who are working on this. Have you faced any opposition so far? Uh, no, we were waiting to, uh, for a word from the Department of Corrections because a common question was what does this mean for uh, prison labor? Um, and we had several answers for that first, which it's, it's not the same. Slavery is not the same as uh, being sentenced to prison and, and having to work. Um, it's not buying or selling of a human being, and at the end of the day, you really cannot force someone to do something in prison. Um, however, this morning, the Department of Corrections got back to us and said that they are in support of the amendment, so we were really pleased to hear that. Um, but I have not heard any or of any other organized opposition. And for our listeners, this is a common held uh, misconception about what we're dealing with. So let's start with the first thing that he mentioned, and he said that slavery is not the same as prison labor. That's a, a representative in the, you know, from the House of Representatives acting like he doesn't know that we have and had had convict leasing in this country. <laughs> I mean, from 1865 right. until today, we have had convict leasing. It was allegedly Absolutely. abolished in 1928 or 1921, depending on who, what historians you're reading, after a cave-in happened in Alabama that killed like 148 black men and women and children who had been sentenced basically to death to be worked to death in these mines. And a cave occurred, uh, the whole lot of them, and the world was outraged and insisted that the U.S. stop using convict leasing. But I want to play a clip directly from PBS, and it was the introduction of the book and film by the name Slavery by Another Name. So listen to this as a counter. Now, a history of forced labor after the Civil War. A new documentary that airs tonight on PBS tells the story of how American citizens, freed by the 13th Amendment to the Constitution, remained under lock and key for decades afterward. Slavery by Another Name, based on the Pulitzer Prize-winning book of the same name, tells the story of the thousands of African Americans who were arrested on trumped-up charges and forced to work as convict labor. In many cases, they were sent to the South's coal mines, including some owned by businessman and former slave owner John Milner. Historians and actors describe it in this excerpt. After emancipation, industrialists replaced slaves with convicts, acquiring thousands from state and county governments. You can't drive free labor the same way that you can force prisoners to mine five tons of coal a day. And this is why people like Milner wanted prisoners in his coal mines. He saw them as a great source of profit, and he didn't have to worry about labor disputes. He didn't have to worry about labor disputes. This was convict leasing happening in modern America. And she made an error by saying thousands. It was hundreds of thousands Absolutely. who were incarcerated. Between the period of the emancipation and the 13th Amendment 
1868, the prisons in the South went from 90% white populated to 90% black populated. And the specific reason that this transfer of racial occupancy occurred is because of convict leasing. Big, big business in the United States. Slavery continued in Alabama. In Alabama of the Civil War, I believe 90% of the revenue came from slavery. At the, uh, by 18... 79 or so, 75, I'll get the information and share it. Their wealth came from, 80% of it came from convict leasing. So they went from slavery to convict leasing, and their revenue barely changed. You see? Right. That's, that's exactly it. And we see that that carried on generation after generation, convict leasing, Unicor, whether we want to call them prison industrial con, uh, complex, it just kept taking on different names, different names, slavery by another name. We saw it continue, and it continues to this very day that we still have it going on. You know, next week I think I'm going to come with the list of the top 50 companies that actually benefit from having slave labor. And I'm just going to focus on the companies where the prisoners are getting no money, not even talking about the ones that make $0.25, cents, $0.35. Cents. We're going to just focus on the ones that are getting absolutely nothing for it, and they'll be sent to solitary if they don't work to debunk the you-can't-force-people-to-work. As you explained earlier about these prison companies being traded globally on NASDAQ and in Tokyo and uh, the New York, wherever it's being, stocks are being sold, they're sold publicly. Right. We've explained in last week's episode that when you're buying these stocks, you're buying the idea that these beds would be filled with people. So in essence, you're buying people. But he mentioned representative. Yeah, and, and their labor, which is really like gravy because their main income comes from warehousing bodies. So every bed is worth X amount of dollars per right. year. Right. So one of the statements that John Lesh, Representative John Lesh said, the next one was that slavery, uh, well, no, prisons don't buy and sell human beings. Correct. I want to play a clip from Brave New World called Immigrants for Sale. Apparently, a journalist snuck into an auction of the Bill Clayton Detention Center in Littleville, Texas. Yeah, and, that's a great clip. Right. Please, for, it is please, literally please an auction that. of human beings being sold by the prisons in their own words. So without further ado, here you go. The detention center that I'm going to sell today really is state-of-the-art. It's as good as it can possibly get. You have the people coming into that pipeline, so you have an endless supply of product. No matter what your business is, what you're looking for, we will have a steady supply of people in America to fill this facility. I'm finding you want to spend $5 million. I'm $5 million. You want to spend $5 million. 
again, that's from Brave New World, or Bra- yeah, Brave New World, and it's called Immigrants for Sale. That's just a small clip of it. You literally heard this prison auctioneer tell his potential buyers that mm-hmm. no matter what your business is or what you're trying to achieve, there will be a steady supply steady of people, product. He called them freaking product. There'll be a steady supply of product in America to fill this prison. That was the selling point. And the bidding started at $5 million. Yusuf? Yeah, and, you know, another thing that we have to take into account is these private companies have contracts with state and federal prisons to house 80 to 100% or have 80 to 100% capacity that it's mandatory upon these state and the federal government to house 80 to to 100% capacity or they can sue them for these empty beds and you know the breakdown to the cost per bed what is it up to now max somewhere in the 40,000s per bed per year per prison well it prison? depends on what state you're in the cost to incarcerate a single adult, which is much less than a child, 16, 15 years old, ranges from around twenty-five dollars to $30,000 a year in Florida, which is the fast food restaurant of prisons, to as right. much as a quarter of a million dollars a year in Rikers Island. Right. So the northern states actually make more money on slavery than the southern states. And then we have to ask the question, how can you guarantee me 80% to 100% capacity? And that's what they do. In Arizona, they have a 100% capacity contract for 25 years, guaranteeing that those beds will be filled. Colorado had it at one time. I think they uh, canceled their contract, but they also have what's called a low crime tax, which is passed on to the taxpayer. And if those beds are not filled, the taxpayer has to make up the difference in what the prison would have made. (laughs) It's amazing. (laughs) And, you know, there was one other thing I wanted to point out uh, about when he said that prisoners are not being forced to work. I'm going to play a clip about that, but I want to read something. And this comes from the United Nations Standard Minimum Rules for the Treatment of Prisoners. Number two, Mm -hmm. all prisoners under sentence shall be required to work subject to their physical and mental fitness as determined by the medical officer. It's all stated very clearly in the ACA standards. Correctional Mm -hmm. standards promulgated by the American Correctional Association provide that sentenced inmates who are generally housed in maximum, medium, or minimum security prisons be required to work and be paid for that work. Some states require, as with Arizona, 
all able-bodied inmates to work. That's a requirement right there in their rules in the American Correctional Association. Yeah, that sounds forced <laughs> to me. That doesn't sound like I have, if, if I'm there, it doesn't sound like I have an option as to whether or not I want to work. You don't. There is no option. As well, You know what, let's just play the next clip next clip which will explain it further and then we got one more to clip after that a little bit of something i want to talk about and we'll go to the next segment this comes okay. from john oliver and it's about forced prison labor but there are some major differences between the jobs people do in prison and the ones they do on the outside, particularly when it comes to money. The average wage in prison is around 63 cents per hour. And remember, that's the average. So that means there are states where prisoners make considerably less. In Texas, Georgia, Arkansas, and Alabama, prisoners are not paid for their work at all. And in some places, they're required to work under threat of disciplinary action. If they say, no, I'm not going to work, they can write you up for that, they can send you to solitary for that. That's that's, that's slavery. To, to work for free yeah. and then they can, and they can put you in solitary if you don't yeah. work or write you up for not working? Yeah. For free. Why is that not slavery? Yeah, that's not good because why is that not slavery? It's one of those questions that even if you have to ask it, something has already gone very wrong. Like, how many swastika tattoos? Or, which of Mommy's nightstand drawers did you open? Things are already bad. We just need to figure out how bad. And the answer to why is this not slavery is, well, it's not exactly not slavery. Because it turns out treating prisoners as slaves is literally written into the Constitution. The 13th Amendment states that slavery is abolished except as a punishment for a crime. And the amendment abolishing slavery is really not the one that you want to suddenly include the word except. And look, I, I know that to many, inmates are not a naturally sympathetic group of people. In, in fact, when there was a push to get a higher wage for those working behind bars a few years ago, these people on Fox found it hilarious. Inmates behind bars are now suing for the minimum wage for the work they're doing behind bars. Should that be a crime? He says he deserves minimum wage, as if crime pays. Why let crime pay? Exactly. Crime should not pay. It's very simple. Common sense is very simple. Common sense is very simple. Again, that's from John Oliver. He's in the depth about forced prison labor. And he's one of the most well-versed people I know about this system. He has, well, we've got a list from his program where he covers every aspect of modern-day slavery. And he points out right there, the 13th Amendment is not the place that you suddenly want to have an exception clause. And you got conservatives making a big joke out of slave labor. Right. And for those that want to see the entire clip, that's on YouTube. It's listed as prison labor last week tonight with John Oliver. You can see the entire clip. I believe it's about 18 or 19 minutes. Very good clip. I try to keep all of the videos and news video clips uh, on our YouTube page for Abolition Today, but we need to get 100 subscribers before we can get the uh, name Abolition Today under YouTube.com. 
So if you get a chance, check us out on Facebook at Abolition Today. Click the YouTube links that we're providing and subscribe. All right, I got one more to close this out, Yusuf. We're going to drive it the final nail in this coffin of these misconceptions and wrong thinking about what we're dealing with with prison slavery. What I'm about to No, you're doing great. You're laying it out before the jury. Make it plain. The jury is listening. What I'm about to play for you is a report on a commercial that was made by the prison industry in order to appeal to private industry to stop using public labor and start using prison labor. In the U.S., the market for cheap labor is booming behind bars. In the last 15 years, partnership between prisons and private manufacturers has increased significantly. They're becoming America's very own Chinese-style manufacturing line behind prison walls. Prisons, in fact, advertise themselves as such, as an alternative to outsourcing cheap labor to China or elsewhere. On the web, we came across this pitch that prisons prepared to persuade private sector companies to come and do business with them. Take a look. There is not enough uh, folks that will do this type of work in this country. So therefore, we're bringing, bringing back this industry that has historically has been going out of this country, and we're putting it you know, inside the walls. And it's, it's absolutely a, a perfect idea. I have a workforce that does not have car problems or babysitting problems, etc. They're always here, and they're always willing to come to work. Bring your business to our labor. A wide variety of industries take advantage of prison labor. Among many other things, prisoners make clothing, textiles, electronics, furniture, and even solar panels. Just as we're trying to get China to stop uh, with their prison labor, ours is at the same time increasing. Hundreds of companies have used prison labor directly or through subcontractors, including Microsoft, Boeing, Starbucks, Victoria's Secret, and others. They qualify for federal tax breaks. Uh, they can get uh, recompensated up to 40% of the wages that they pay to these inmates. We as taxpayers, we have to house, feed, and provide medical care and, and everything for all of these inmates. We do this as taxpayers. It comes out of the, the tax pool. And that keeps the actual prison workforce healthy and in shape to go out and perform these jobs for these private companies. Hard-working and reliable, inmates show up for work every day voluntarily. Work in prison is mandatory, and the choice many inmates have is whether to work for a government-run prison industry for less than a dollar an hour, or a private one for a minimum wage of around six dollars. Unicor is a government-owned corporation that uses prison labor to produce all kinds of goods, mainly for other government agencies. 175 different types of products and services. You see the variety listed on their website. They, too, partner up with private firms now. Last year, Unicor's revenue reached $900 million. As far as private prisons are concerned, two of the country's biggest prison corporations made $3.3 billion last year alone. Private prisons are traded on the New York Stock Exchange. They are for-profit companies. And the uh, savings that they reap from using inmate labor um, go to their bottom line. It's money they otherwise don't have to spend in order to keep the facility run. Large prison populations and harsh sentences result in greater profits. America's three major private prison companies spend around 
$45 million over the past 10 years on lobbying state and federal governments for supporting immigrant detention, mandatory minimum sentences, three strikes laws, and other legislative measures that contribute to the growth of America's gigantic prison population. The U.S. now holds more people behind bars than any other nation. More than two million. That's one quarter of all prisoners in the world. From a cost-effectiveness point of view, the $45 million that private prisons have reportedly spent over the past decade lobbying to keep prisons full is peanuts compared to the billions that they make every year. One can argue about the many causes and effects of America's skyrocketing incarceration rate, but since prisons became a for-profit industry in the U.S. 30 years ago, the number of prisoners has gone up dramatically. Not to say that it was the only cause behind the spike, but many argue it was part of it. And now with the cheap labor market expanding behind American bars, one is wondering whether the justice system in the U.S. is adopting market values. Abolition. Abolition. You just heard a segment from episode two, Countering the Propaganda, which featured, featured three statements from St. Paul Rep. John Lesh and four reply clips. Specifically, John Lesh's statements were, A, slavery is not the same as prison labor, but we've countered that with the PBS clip of slavery by another name dealing with the convict leasing. His second statement, prisons don't buy and sell human beings, but of course that was debunked by the Bill Clayton detention auction clip. You can't force prisoners to work. And that was also debunked from the clip of John Oliver on forced labor. So we're going to go into our 8 p.m. music break with a song slash poem that will leave anyone with a heart and a care for humankind in tears. The song is called I Can't Breathe by Her. When we come back from the break, we'll open up the phone lines for anyone who wants to call in and speak on any of our previous episodes or about slavery abolition in general. Our call-in number is 515-605-9814. Press 1 on your dial to join the conversation. See you on the other side of the break. Justice, the same crimes Always a problem if we do it Don't fight and we 
destruction of minds, bodies, and human rights. Stripped of bloodlines, whipped and confined, this is the American pride. It's justifying a genocide, romanticizing the theft and bloodshed that made America the land of the free. To take a black life, land of the free, to bring a gun to a peaceful fight for civil rights. You are desensitized to pulling triggers on innocent lives because that's how we got here in the first place. These wounds sink deeper than the bullet your entitled hands could ever reach. Generations and generations of pain, fear, and anxiety. Equality is walking without intuition, saying the protector and the killer is wearing the same uniform. The revolution is not televised. Media perception is forced down the throats of closed minds, so it's lies in the headlines and generations of supremacy resulting in your ignorant, privileged eyes. We breathe the same and we bleed the same, but still we don't see the same. Be thankful we are God-fearing because we do not seek revenge. We seek justice. We are past fear. We are fed up eating your shit because you think your so-called black friend validates your wokeness and erases your racism. That kind of uncomfortable conversation is too hard for your trust fund pockets to swallow. To swallow the strange fruit hanging from my family tree because of your audacity to say all men are created equal in the eyes of God but disparage a man based on the color of his skin. Do not say you do not see color. When you see us, see us. We can't breathe. was made to make us the enemy praying for change because the pain makes you tender all of the names you refuse to remember were somebody's brother or friend son to a mother that's crying saying I can't breathe you're taking my life from me I can't breathe will anyone fight for me I'd like to dedicate that song to the family of Breonna Taylor and to all of the families of people who were needlessly taken from us at the hands of police brutality. Yeah, so you're listening to Abolition today, and we're reviewing a few of our early episodes. Our call lines are now open. The number is 515-605-9814. Remote to press one on your phone to be put into the call a queue. That track you just heard was called I Can't Breathe, performed by her. And for those just checking in and you're wondering why you don't hear Max Parthis, no worries. Max is doing fine. He needed some time off to prepare presentations on other platforms to which he was invited. Max will be back in three weeks, inshallah, God willing. While we're awaiting callers, I'm going to play a track called No Exceptions that displayed the progress 
that has been made by slavery abolitionists across the nation at that time. Remember, we even we're talking months ago. And then I'll bring us up to date on some of the things that have occurred since we aired this uh, six months ago. Abolition. Abolition. A resolution to propose an amendment to Article 1, Section 33 of the Constitution of Tennessee to prohibit slavery and involuntary servitude. That should have been done probably a long time ago. Just give yourselves a round of applause for helping me. I have 97 no names. I hereby declare it concurred. Is slavery still legal in Utah? Well, technically, yes. And it's still legal in many other states. And it's something that ABC4's Brittany Johnson has been looking into. So, Brittany, first question, big question, how is this still legal here? Well, Don, let me break it down for you. Our state constitution does say that slavery is illegal, but it is allowed as a form of punishment. Now, I have been looking into this for more than a month, and I've made plenty of calls to our state's leaders and people I spoke with that didn't even know that this was still in Utah's constitution. Now, today I sat down with the president of the NAACP, and they want this removed now. 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 Utah's constitution clearly reads slavery is forbidden, but technically, it's still legal as a form of punishment. Article 1, Section 21 of Utah's Constitution reads, Neither slavery nor involuntary servitude, except as a punishment for crime whereof the party shall have been duly convicted, shall exist within this state. Janetta Williams, president of the NAACP's Salt Lake Branch, is calling for the wording in our state's constitution to be changed. Is it something that should be done uh, immediately? immediately. What, uh, they, they're trying to get around saying that uh, slavery is not uh, okay, but then trying to say, but except, yeah, yeah. And, and that's part there, it's very troubling. Utah isn't alone. Other state constitutions allow slavery as punishment for a crime. The U.S. Constitution does too. The 13th Amendment was ratified in 1865. Now it abolished most forms of slavery, but still allowed for the opportunity of servitude as legal punishment. And that has yet to change. Prisons is not a form of uh, slavery, and it shouldn't be a form of slavery. Our ancestors were uh, slaves, and I think if it was the other way around, people would want to say, you know, these things shouldn't be on the books. Williams says the first step in getting this removed from the state's constitution is to raise awareness. And we need to work together and make sure that uh, that we don't just sweep it under the rug. That should have been done probably a long time ago. Just give yourselves a round of applause for helping me. This is a state thing. As a resident of the state who happens to be St. Paul's Capitol's uh, police chief, it's important that this wording is removed. When people go into the, the uh, criminal justice system, when they are uh, entered in the Department of Corrections, it should not be viewed as an exception to slavery. People who are paying their debt to society should not be viewed and should not be treated as if they're slaves. Words matter, Minnesota, and we can do better in this fall. I hope you join me in striking this language from our Constitution. Thank you very much. And now I'd uh, like to introduce my, my co-author, and she's my true co-author, not just a second author, because chief authorship will pass uh, to her for floor action, uh, and that is uh, St. Paul State Representative Rena Moran. Thank you, Representative Flash. 
for the Emancipation Proclamation was issued 157 years ago. But black Americans still carry multi-generational trauma from that dark period in our nation, in our nation's early history. This trauma informs my work here at the Capitol, and every day I try to look to lift our community spirit of the systemic biases that continue to hold them down. As the great-great-granddaughter of slaves, this issue is personal to me. It's a matter of human dignity. It's unacceptable for our state to sanction slavery or involuntary servitude under any context. It's time for this language to be eliminated, and I am so proud to be the co-author of this legislation, which would amend our Constitution to do so. That should have been done probably a long time ago. Just give yourselves a round of applause for helping us. Abolition. Abolition. That was no exceptions where you were listening to an assembly meeting where the Tennessee Council voted unanimously to remove the slavery exception clause from their state constitution. Of course, it still has to go to a ballot initiative. Since then, we've had Utah and Nebraska have ballot initiatives remove their exception clauses from their state constitutions, which will be on the upcoming elections in November. And New Jersey has a ballot initiative to add anti-slavery legislation to its state constitution. I see we have callers on the line. And speaking of the New Jersey ballot initiative, uh, I want to bring in uh, my brother and my comrade, Dennis Febo. Well, Dennis, welcome to Abolition Day. Peace, peace, brother. Peace. Thank you for holding the fort down. Let's talk to Max. So he was, uh, he he got other stuff to be doing right now. Right, right. So, you know, (laughs) once he sees that, you know, hey, I can hold this down without crashing it all, crashing the car all over the place, then we can, (laughs) we can have other things going on at the same time. Bless, bless. I was listening so, to previous episodes, and uh, something that stood out to me um, that I was listening is um, brushing the concept of uh, the immigration detention and the boom in that industry uh, since <clears throat> Obama and exacerbated by the Trump administration, uh, knowing and understanding that that private lobby that private industry was the biggest lobbyist, uh, the biggest contributor to the Trump campaign um, before mm-hmm. Obama left office, having uh, banned uh, private prisons. And then when Trump came in, he brought them back up on the map, uh, while also pulling away from the Committee to Eradicate Racial Discrimination at the United Nations and also pulling the United States out of the Human Rights Commission following the boom of the separation of families and putting children in cages. Um, I still feel like people think that this is still like it it happened and it's not happening anymore. Um, And from what I'm seeing is the overall theme of dehumanization and using the law as a loophole or putting loopholes in the law in order to, you know, with the intent of being able to propertize the body in order to gain free labor 
And it's not just the labor, it's also the amount of time spent in those institutions. Um, all of the external services that get put in place in order to sustain the human body, um, all of mm-hmm. that forms a multi-billion dollar industry. Um, I'm personally trying to see how to bring that and bridge it together more because someone, because someone is not a citizen or a civilian in the United States, the 13th Amendment wouldn't apply to them. However, going to a border and claiming asylum literally means you're a stateless person. And this is why we have laws around uh, asylum-seeking people, right? Because according to Mm -hmm. international law, no person can be stateless. Therefore, they must be received by the state that they're petitioning to be received in. But what they did was just criminalize even further the ability to cross the border so that they can be convicted of a crime, so that it can be justified uh, for their involuntary servitude. All put in place by the exception clause to the 13th Amendment. Yep. You know, so, yeah, I definitely thank you for that information. Uh, do you have any uh, updates you want to give regarding uh, the, uh, what is it, NJ145, ACR145? Yeah, we got ACR145 and SCR96. The, the, both are assembly concurrent resolutions, Senate concurrent. I think a lot of states might work that way as well, being that you need both chambers to pass legislation in order for it to go to the ballot. Um, under each uh, body, uh, a committee has to vote on it first. So here in New Jersey, the Senate committee passed, and now it's awaiting Senate vote, and we're still awaiting, we're still awaiting uh, assembly vote. Uh, we're about to revamp our uh, our campaign approach here in New Jersey uh, because we've had a couple of cities stand up and pass state, uh, city resolutions. We have uh, Morristown happening next week. I was sharing with Mac that uh, they had a listening session uh, on the city council of Morristown. Morris County is the second wealthiest county in the United States. Morristown right. is the seat of that county. Um, so they had the listening session, and apparently a whole bunch of high school students called in petitioning to amend the 13th Amendment uh, of the, in the state of New Jersey, which would be for us to add the language. Um, I thought that was so beautiful to hear that because uh, all I went was over there to speak for five minutes and it turned into a whole movement over there where they have now the city council will be voting on it next week. So kind of out here trying to get other cities to stand. And for those of us to put pressure on our legislators to keep pushing these votes, we're supposed to have a public hearing. I'm still awaiting the date on that. Um, That's supposed to be set by the New Jersey state legislature. We've gotten support from many organizations from North to South now it's a matter of people in positions of power standing. Uh, as of right now, our grassroots movement is pretty deep. Um, it could be more. We do need more education. There's a lot of people in the state of New Jersey. And as I'm pretty sure you're aware, Brother Yusuf, a lot of people still are unaware that slavery is legal in the United States. Right. So Until it hits their door. About, yeah, and this campaign is mainly education. Education and voter registration, because we the people have to vote for this. But at least now we have something to vote for, something concrete. Yeah, and that's absolutely great. Uh, so if anyone wants to get in contact with you or they want to, you know, find out how they can get involved, please uh, share your information for them. 
Sure thing. My name is Dennis Febo, F-E-B-O. We're on, uh, we have Amanda 13, uh, NJ on Facebook and on Instagram, on Twitter. Um, if you want to get active, just uh, you can reach us on Facebook is our most active page. Um, just petition re- uh, request to be a part a member of the group, and you know we share communications there and what our strategies will be. Uh, we were just covered on NJ.com for a hip hop track that we did. We're asking those of us. I like to say that the abolitionist movement is movement with swag, and we must use the arts. We must definitely be tapping into the arts because that's what reaches our youth. That is a one of our biggest untapped voting populations, and they are already moved. I think this would just be something to gear our youth towards, and the use of the arts has been very successful for here for us in New Jersey. Um, so we'll have a whole lot more coming up real soon. Yeah, that track is dope. In fact, <laughs> I opened the show with it again. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, if I could get away with it, I'd play it every week, you know. <laughs> but it's just so much great. It's just so much great uh, music and poetry out there. As we uh, mentioned a, a, a clip from Ava DuVernay, DuVernay last week where she said, you know, art and activism go together. And that's absolutely true. We've seen it through the generations, you know, of all of our predecessors and our ancestors where the artists were the activists as well. So it's it's definitely great. I love the track. You know, I love everything that you guys are doing, you know, with uh, Amend the 13th, uh, as well as Abolish Slavery National Network, which you also are a part of. Uh, if you wanted to just speak on that for maybe two minutes, and then uh, sure. we can move on with the program. When I started the campaign here in New Jersey, I was unaware that uh, Colorado was dead smack in the middle of theirs. And then I learned by watching the news that they had passed it in November. I was so inspired. I took a team with me, and we flew out there to meet with Brother Kamal, uh, Nathan. We met the whole team, the entire team uh, for Amendment A in Colorado. Uh, what I took away from that was a bunch of people came together of different creeds, religions, races, you throw it in there. And they all agreed that they were going to stand for justice, and they didn't stop until it was accomplished. That, to me, was super inspiring. So I came back to New Jersey with the intention of showing on video what it is that I learned uh, from Colorado. But Brother Kamal ended up surprising us for this big event that I hosted. <coughs> and he flew out to New Jersey and did a dope spoken word piece on stage, represented Colorado. Uh, he was in my house, and we started talking. We said, you know, we should probably, uh, because we're getting interest from other states, we should talk about nationalizing. Um, a year later, we formed the Abolish Slavery National Network and supporting, right now, our goals are to support Utah and Nebraska as they're reaching their their ballot votes this November because this will give more, more uh, meat to the movement, that we have more states on board that are abolishing slavery. Our goal, as uh, and what we call the Amend campaign, is a state campaign to try to get as many states. If we could get 36 states, so 35 states, I forgot what the two-thirds is, two-thirds of the states to vote or to stand with it in their own state constitutions that we could push for a constitutional convention, already having the majority of states on board, uh, which will make it a no-brainer on the passing of or repealing and replacing, which is the federal movement. And we kind of run both concurrent. Apparently, we're still waiting on Senator Merkley's bill 
uh, to hit the floor of the Senate so that way at least we can start having uh, more movement on the national campaign. So as the states join, then we each are running concurrently our own state uh, movement to amend your state constitution, whether it be adding the language, amending the language, or deleting language from the constitution. And then our repeal and replace movement to repeal the 13th Amendment and replace with what I think is the 28th now. So that's pretty much where we stand. That's great information. And for anyone who wants more information on the Abolish Slavery National Network, you can go to abolishslavery.us. Once again, I thank you for the call, Dennis. I see we have area code 202 on the line. If you want to join the conversation, press 1 on your dial so you can uh, join in with us. Otherwise, we'll move on with the program. Okay, so 202, welcome to Abolition Today. Hey, Brother Youssef. This is Sharon. How are you? Hey, Sharon. How you doing? I'm good. And I just wanted to call and let you know I am listening. I'm here supporting you. And I just want to thank um, Brother Dennis for all the work that he's doing. I am thrilled at what's going on on the national level and um, have been following Amend the Third New Jersey and his work with um, Max Parthas on the Abolish Slavery National Network. There's a lot going on, and I am just want you brothers to know that you are my heroes. Oh, we thank you so much for that, Sharon. Uh, for those who don't know, I mean, tell us who you are. I mean, you're not just some random person calling in. Like, you are actually part of us. Well, this is true. I um, am officially the executive secretary of the Paul Cuffey Abolitionist Center. And so I'm in the background all the time, never miss the show. Um, I just don't say a lot on the air. (laughs) Well, we thank you for calling in. Definitely appreciated that, you know, you calling in. You're welcome. Definitely grateful for all the support that you give us at Paul Coffey Abolition Center and to Abolition Today. So I definitely thank you for that. You're welcome. Thank you very much. So we'd like to uh, move on with the program. There's one – yeah, I think I have time for this one one last clip I want to play. You know, we're digging in the crates from our first couple of episodes – And this is the Fox Business Report on the demand and profitability of prison bonds, along with Oscar Brown Jr. performing Better Men. And after I play this, I'll just get like maybe like a 15, 20-second comment from each of you after I play this clip. Abolition. Abolition. Costs for correctional facilities, or in other words, prisons, quadrupling in the past 20 years to $52 billion in the U.S. With taxpayers on the hook for much of that, is there a way you can actually make crime pay? Our next guest says, you bet. Rava Shakatai is Senior Vice President at RBC Wealth Management, and she joins us now. Thanks for being with us, Rava. Thank you, Dennis. So let's just go broad picture first. The U.S. is the most prison-prone country in the world, right? Tell us about that. We have 2.3 million inmates 
in the state prison system, in the federal prison system, and in local jails. There is a difference between prison and jail. Yes, it's a one year, but it doesn't matter. It's not first. Louisiana, one in 86 people. One in 86, absolutely. Uh, if you look at the country as a whole, it's one in 104. But if you look at both parolees and probation in addition, it's one in 33 people who are in the state or federal prison system. Right, and California has seven times as many prisoners as Iran, the entire country does. Uh, yeah, absolutely. All right, so uh, there's clearly a- demand here. Now, most times when people think about trying to make money on prisons, they look at the publicly held prison for-profit prison companies called CXW and GEO. But you think those guys might be kind of played out. Why is that? Well, both of those types of companies really happened post-9-11 when the U.S. Marshal Service and ICE, which is uh, Immigration Custom Enforcement, got the contract to um, detain immigrants. So 50% of all immigrant detainees are in the private prisons. They adopted the approach, if you build it, they will come. But there's a mismatch with the need. They have excess capacity, but it doesn't exactly fill the need of the public prison system. Okay, take, take but those aren't where they need to be. So if we get rid of CXW and GEO, instead, you like a couple of actual California state prison bonds. Tell us about those. California operates just about the biggest prison system in the country. You have an occupancy rate of these prisons of 155%. The demand definitely outstrips the supply. So there's a a segment of the fixed income market called lease revenue bonds. And this is a play on the municipal bond market. It's a more conservative approach to playing the prison market. A lease revenue bond that plays the prisons compared to a general obligation bond of the same maturity can yield 10 to 50% more. A prison bond more than a regular government bond from a local government. From a state government, right. so from a from the California GO perspective, I'm not talking about jail bonds. Those are highly speculative, and that's where you hear about the defaults in the prison market. I see. Now, um, in addition to California, uh, are all state bonds kind of safe to look at for prison purposes? Do all state bonds pay higher than their regular general obligation bonds? There's a couple of states that you can really look to, like California, Texas, Florida, New York, and Michigan. These are the biggest issuers of the lease revenue bonds that fund correctional facilities. So for an income-hungry investor that's looking for relative value, I think there's a huge opportunity in these bonds that are absolutely underfollowed by the market. And they're tax-free as well, they're right? tax-free income, absolutely. Okay. And, it, and part of this plays into your theme, you know, your clients call you the grave dancer because you like to put money into things where the customer has little choice. You feel like cigarettes, people are addicted, gambling even has some addicts, and certainly in prison, the customers have no choice but to be customers, don't they? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's no other place to go. I think that the country will stop at nothing to protect public safety. So I think that the prison market's a great place to, to be. So why not profit from All right, thank you very much for being with us. Ravis Shakatai. Appreciate it. <laughs> we were to meet here by the auction block. Ah, there he is. Gentlemen, gentlemen, that sun is hot and plenty bright. Let's get out of business and get home tonight, Peterman. Auctioning slaves is a real high art. Bring that young gal, Roy. She's good for a start. Peterman, get him in. Now, here's a real goodbye on about 15. Her great-grandmammy was a die-homie queen. Just look at her face. She sure ain't homely. Like Sheba in the Bible, she's black but comely. Peterman. Gonna start at three. Can I hear three? Step up, Jan. Take a good look. See, because I know you want her once you see her. She's young and ripe, make a darn good breeder, bit him in. 
She's good in the field, she can sew and cook. Strip her down while I let the gentleman look. She's full up front and ample behind. Examine her teeth if you got a man. Bid him in, get him in. Here's a bit of three from a man who's thrifty. Three twenty-five, can I hear three fifty? Your money ain't earning you much in the bank. Turn around, Roy, let him look at her flanks. Bid him in. Three fifty's bid, and I'm looking for four. At four hundred dollars, she's a bargain sure. Four is the bid, four fifty. Five, five hundred dollars now, look alive. Bid him in, get him in. Don't mind them tears, that's one of her tricks. Five fifty's bid, and who'll say six? She's healthy and strong and well equipped. Make a fine lady's maid when she's properly whipped. Bid him in. Six, six fifty, don't be slow. Seven is the bid, gonna let her go. At seven, she's going, going, gone. Pull her down, Roy, bring the next one on. Bid him in, get him in, bid him in. Abolition. Abolition. You just listened to a Fox Business report on the demand and profitability of prison bonds, along with Oscar Brown Jr. performing Bid Em In. And I'd like to tell you, Sharon and uh, Dennis, there was no difference between those two tracks. <laughs> they both were saying <laughs> the same exact thing. When you really peel back the onion, of the fancy language they were speaking on Fox Business News. They said the same exact thing. Uh, what do you think about that, Sharon? Yeah, you're right. Um, they are very similar, very similar. But you gave me, what did you say, 20 seconds? <laughs> um, I wanted to <laughs> yeah, thank Brother just a Dennis Tebow. Just a brief comment is brief. I wanted to thank um, Brother Dennis Febo for his you know, the way he broke down the immigrant uh, detention uh, system and, and how it's profitable. Um, because you know we don't often hear that, and it was in several of the clips. But though he broke it down in 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 such a good way, you know, I used to teach middle school, so I like when people can speak in ways that are memorable and that was that that was well done um, passing it yeah. to you dennis i mean there it is a huge compliment on your plate <laughs> i'm a Thank fan you. <laughs> and sharon doesn't give out sharon doesn't give out compliments so easily no i don't but i love the interplay between you and dennis and max <laughs> So Thank I you. just had to say. Did you have any final comment on that, Dennis? Yeah, I want to say, you you know, you guys impacted me and my life as well. So I want to thank you for being who you are and doing what you do. And that your work doesn't go unnoticed or unheard. And, you know, you got an ally in me. So as ever, we are soul family. And no doubt. let's keep this moving. No doubt, no doubt. I appreciate that. I appreciate that. So, in summation, this was just some of the highlights and lowlights from the first four episodes of uh, Abolition Today since we've been on since March 15, 2020. We'd like to mention our sponsors and partners, Jailhouse Lawyers Speak, the I Am We Prison Advocacy Network, Sama Urge, the Quakers Uplifting Racial Justice, the Paul Cuffey Abolitionist Center, where we have the executive secretary on the line with us, and Prismatic Dreams. We have just a couple of announcements. The Free Alabama Movement Queen Team is calling for a boycott of the Alabama Bureaus of Pardons and Paroles this Tuesday, 
September 29th from 11 a.m. to 1.30 p.m. For more information, email fam, F-A-M, at famqueenteen.com, or you can visit their Facebook page, uh, Free Alabama, or Fam Queen Team is their, their Facebook page. Free to 13th call to action from the Free to 13th uh, movement party. I forgot what they are officially called. October 26th to the 29th, they're having their call to action. It's a four-day event. For more information, contact Savannah Eldridge of Be Frank for Justice at Savannah Eldridge, E-L-D-R-I-D-G-E, at B, that's B-E, Frank, for the number four, justice.com. I'd also like to send out well wishes to Jeanette Smith. Jeanette, we're thinking about you. Get well soon. Rest up. We miss you, but we want you in better health. So see you soon with that. Don't forget to tune in lot to uh, live from the plantation that airs at 7 p.m. Central every Thursday night, right be- right here on the Abolition Today platform. This program is completely run by those that are in the prison system. You can hear their voices speaking on various issues such as prison slavery, human rights violations, and their organizing efforts across the country to end these crimes against their humanity. My closing quote for this evening, but I need not elaborate on the legal and practical definition of slavery. What I've aimed to do has not only been to show the moral depths, darkness, and destitution from which we are still emerging, but to explain the grounds of the prejudice, hate, and contempt in which we still are held by the people who for more than 200 years doomed us to this cruel and degrading condition. So when it is asked, why are we excluded from the world's Columbian Exposition? The answer is slavery. That was Frederick Douglass speaking of the convict lease system and the reason why. The colored American is not in the world's Columbian Exposition, published in 1893. Usually we end the broadcast by the bridging the gap, segment between the present and our abolitionist predecessors. Tonight, we will bridge the gap between those of us in the so-called free world with that of those on the plantation. We are closing the program with the voice of Brother Hashima speaking on the Amended 13th Movement with an outro of None of Us Are Free from Solomon Northrop. We'll be back October 4th, inshallah, God willing. Until then, remember to join the movement at AbolishSlavery.us and subscribe to our YouTube page, Abolition Today, for all the news, information, and music you hear on this program. Live streams and archived podcasts are available at AbolitionToday.org and all of your favorite podcast platforms such as Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and CastBox. Until next week, think about Abolition Today. Peace and blessings be upon you all. Abolition. Greetings, sisters and brothers. My name is Joko Shima Jinsai, Executive Director of Amend the 13th. We have gathered here today because America is a slave state, a nation that has preserved for itself the prerogative in law to exploit in one form or another the capture and bondage of human beings. The most enduring legacy of destruction and human misery in the history of the United States and perhaps the world is the legacy of legal slavery in America. 
Its attendant prejudices and unequal relationships have persisted through every evolution of American productive and social life. It has been preserved in law and enshrined in the very structure of American institutions, casting a specter of hate and hierarchy across the lives of millions over the course of centuries. Every year that passes and this legacy endures, history condemns those who've preserved it and those who allowed it to be preserved by others. From the slave codes to the black codes, to the legal slavery provision of the 13th Amendment, and the thousands of civil death statutes that derive their legal authority therefrom, America has made a mockery of the concept of freedom and justice for all by ensuring it is always denied to some. But these words are nothing new, and neither is the notion of abolition. The legacy of legal slavery in America has been wrote about, debated, railed against, condemned, protested, attacked, bruised, battered, even warred against, but it has never been overcome. Slavery, the economic, political, and social exploitation of human bondage, is a structural component of American law, American capitalism, and American society. Your society. There have been points in history where it was critically wounded, and the final blow could have been delivered, but instead, it was deferred down the blind alley of reform, allowing it to merge altered but intact. American society across the length and breadth of its history has resisted, out of fear or institutional reaction, the opportunity for genuine freedom and structural social change every time it has been confronted with the prospect. The human misery of New Africans in America, unabated since 1619 and unparalleled in human history, continues today. New Africans remain the most disproportionately impacted population in the current scheme of legal slavery, mass incarceration. Though this fact cannot be minimized or diminished, it must be understood that in America's modern scheme of legal slavery, no culture is exempt. Latinos, immigrants, Asians, and poor Euro-Americans are all fuel for the modern prison industrial slave complex. We live in a nation where corporations are deemed people, where greed is touted as a virtue, and slavery remains legal. They have crafted laws which target our communities and manufactured social conditions where people are compelled in absolute desperation to abrogate these laws just to survive. And they have done so to erect a structure where social control, economic exploitation, and political scapegoating have merged to form one of the largest industries in the United States, the prison industrial slave complex. We must all understand this was not by chance or happenstance. It was by design. With detached calculation, U.S. political and corporate interests built upon the legal slavery provision pre-installed in the U.S. Constitution's 13th Amendment through each successive stage of U.S. social development. Each evolution in U.S. society saw a corresponding expansion trend towards industrialization of imprisonment. Prisoners, parolees, and those under other forms of social control are the only remaining legal slaves of the day. And the new slave master is the state. The state is the primary tool and weapon of the ruling class. The state's interests are the ruling class's interests, period. It is their chief weapon of dominance over the remainder of society. The regime of Donald Trump is currently demonstrating this fact in clear, unambiguous terms. There was a time in history when that weapon was always pointed at the rebellious African slave, the unruly Native American, the resistant Machika, or the irate indentured servant. Today, that weapon is still aimed at their descendants, who now make up the vast majority of the lumpen, the underclass, the convicted felon, the prisoner. Because we, like the slave, the native, and the indentured before us, have no interest in upholding and perpetuating a system which declares its intent to dehumanize and repress us, we have instead chose to change it, and in so doing, create a new society, where freedom, 
justice, and equality shines down on all humanity like a star in the night. When we speak of America being a locked anti-poor society, we are speaking of the conscious dehumanization of the nationally impressed, the underclass, and the lumping. This warped social perspective has provided the psychological impetus for the progressive expansion of legal slavery in America. According to the Bureau of Justice Statistics, the prison population rose from under 100,000 in 1925 to over 2.2 .2 million in prison and another 7 million under some form of state control in the U.S. today. This unprecedented influx of human beings under the social control of a single state industry had not been seen since the shadow slave era. The nature of capitalism is to exploit mechanisms of social control for the private accumulation of the social product. And with tens of billions of tax dollars pouring into hunting, capturing, detaining, trying, convicting, and imprisoning people, corporate interests of every sort were forged into a single cabal of business and government with the single purpose of economically and politically exploiting criminalization and human bondage. The modern prison industrial slave complex has realized the promise of legal slavery calculated so long ago in the 13th Amendment, and no aspect of social life, from the electoral process to basic housing, has been left untouched by its corrupting influence. We tend to forget that prison is a socially hostile microcosm of society itself, that the race and class divisions polarizing society are maximized for those under direct state control. Hierarchy and division, to divide, conquer, subordinate and rule, has been the consistent theme of American governance throughout every era of its history. The era of mass incarceration is no different. For decades, in communities and prisons across this nation, they pit us against one another, and we allowed them to do this to us. They used our fear of criminal victimization and our antagonisms, antagonisms born of this system they created as a basis to erect a system of mass incarceration which continues to devastate New Africans, Latinos, the working class, and the poor. Slaves in the modern prison industrial slave complex cannot vote, cannot strike or organize their labor to defend their dignity and humanity from infringement or abuse. They cannot write, draw, or read what they like. Prisoners are not people under U.S. law. They are slaves. Yet their slave status is not left at the gate, but follows them back into society, where former prisoners are no more than third-class citizens. Even upon release, modern U.S. slaves cannot vote have restrictions on where he or she can live, who they can associate with, if they can drive, where they can work, or even if they can engage in a particular profession. This has had devastating consequences on our communities, from political disenfranchisement, barring millions from the polls, to economic disenfranchisement, fueling the desperation and violence which has claimed far too many lives. They broadcast our communities' poverty, our underdevelopment, and our conflicts, contradictions, to an uninformed public to secure ever larger portions of your tax dollars, further enriching themselves, as we are further dehumanized and despised. In communities across this nation and behind the walls, many of us helped them out by embracing this fiction and fought one another with delusional gusto as they built a monolith of money and political power in pools of our blood and tears. Until we decided we'd had enough. And just like that, Hundreds of years of capitalist institutional exploitation is put in jeopardy. Understand, legal slavery in America is not a prison issue or a constitutional issue or even solely a social issue. It is an issue of the nature and structure of society itself and what we, you and I, are willing to do to change it.
The reason legal slavery in America has endured so long is because the institutions of our society have preserved it. Because we have not with one voice declared its demise. Because we have not with one resolve moved against the unequal social, economic, and political relationships which maintain it. But here and now, history has again provided us an opportunity to redeem it. Brothers and sisters, I come here today to share with you all one possible solution. A blueprint on how we can redeem history by finally and truly abolishing legal slavery in America. That begins with transforming how we think. Dehumanization, like all things, finds its origins in our thoughts. Consider this. Some of the most advanced minds of our time, men and women of moral integrity and deep human compassion, are prisoners or former prisoners. Many will scoff at this, pointing to their imprisonment or the nature of the offenses they were convicted of as proof of their inferior moral quality. And within that thought process lies the authoritarian conditioning of social attitudes and the root of the modern slave system itself. Institutions of social hate are at their core ideas. We must look upon such ideas in our own minds as the indoctrination into institutional hate which they are. We are thinking how we've been taught to think. We've been taught to see social life through predefined black and white lenses, which make the dehumanization of others an almost effortless rationalization. Human beings are not so simple, and social life is lived in shades of gray. People's attitudes come from their conditions, and one's conditions in America are all too often reflected in the color of their skin and balancing their bank account. Abolishing legal slavery in America requires us to abolish the ideas upon which it is based. Amendment 13 stands in direct opposition to the state's divide and conquer tactics because we understand without the divisional dynamics of racial antagonism and class competition, the truth of our human suffering, of its source, and our unwitting participation in it is revealed, allowing us to move against it. The Amendment 13 national agenda provides us with the impetus to both abolish the slavery provision of the 13th Amendment and restructure socioeconomic, political, and cultural life in our communities in such a way that we diminish the inequalities at the root of criminalization. Most in our society are completely unaware that civil death is an enduring collateral consequence of a criminal conviction. Abolition of the legal slavery provision of the 13th Amendment would eliminate the constitutional basis for the annihilation of our personhood, of those subjected to civil death laws. This would mean the end of disenfranchisement for prisoners and former prisoners and empowering every community to influence the laws which govern their lives. It would mean the end of compulsory and uncompensated prison labor. Involuntary servitude is fundamentally inhumane and only serves to reinforce the condition of oppressed man as the laborer whose production is appropriated by his or her masters. Intentional underdevelopment such as this is at its heart a social control mechanism reliant on legalized dehumanization to accomplish that end. Sisters and brothers, do you not see the correlations? Do you not see the restoration of our humanity through the abolition of the basis of our dehumanization as the first step to ending the oppression of man and woman by man and woman? However, this is America, where legal slavery has found a way to survive every attack launched against it. It is the intent of Amendment 13 to ensure that legacy of suffering and human misery is ended once and for all. The primary aim of Amendment 13 is not legislative. The slavery provision of the 13th Amendment could be stricken tomorrow, but if the institutions which preserve it continue to be the basis of our community's infrastructure, 
it too will continue. If we are to eliminate the basis of legal slavery in America, we must develop our own autonomous infrastructure, capable of reducing the criminalization which fuels imprisonment. To that end, the Amendment 13th Autonomous Infrastructure Mission, or AIM, is the backbone of our movement to abolish legal slavery in America. The Amendment 13th AIM must be capable of meeting our basic needs while increasing the wealth and prosperity in our communities. The AIM will provide each community with a functional blueprint to forge their own sustainable agricultural communes, closed-circuit economic initiatives, youth community action programs, new African math and, and science centers, emergency response networks, community safe zones, and secure communities mandates. Each initiative of the AIM is designed to work in tandem with the others to form a single autonomous infrastructure. But these efforts, like our gathering here today, are reliant on the active participation of men, women, and youth just like you. This march is not merely a clarion call for the abolition of legal slavery, but also a functional platform to bring together the many activists and organizations on the front lines of this struggle to demonstrate the power of our unity and the transformative potential of our social cooperation. Amendment 13 was designed as a coalition-based organization with this in mind. But there are so many other formations committed to this struggle who have been building over the course of years that may be present in your communities right now that with your support and participation could realize these aims. We, of course, encourage you to join Amendment 13 or one of its many AIM initiatives. But we would also like you to consider organizations like the George Jackson University, the I Am We Prison Advocacy Network, the National African American Family Reunion Association, the Free Speech Society, the California Prisoners Human Rights Movement, Concrete and Steel Center for Excellence, the Insurrectionist Art Collective, Jailhouse Lawyers Speak, Malcolm X Grassroots Movement, Decarcerate Louisiana, the Black August Memorial Commemoration Committee, the Free Alabama Movement, the Bayview National Newspaper, the California Prison Focus, All of Us or None, the People's Prison Defense Committee, In Prison Slavery in Texas Movement, the W.L. Nolan Mentorship Program, the National Jericho Movement, the Fair Chance Project, the Black Riders Liberation Party, Legal Services for Prisoners with Children, the New African Black Panther Party Prison Chapter, Critical Resistance, Barrio, Barrios Unidos, the Progressive People's Party, Anti-Racist Action, Pillars of Our Community, Black Lives Matter, New Jackson Rising Initiative, California Families to Abolish Solitary Confinement, the Susan P. Burton's New Way of Life, and so many other dynamic organizations and activists that if we stand together on the common ground of abolition, there's no power in this nation, no force on this earth which can stop us from ushering a new age of freedom, justice, and equality for all. It is our unity and defiance of that which divides us. It is our cooperation and opposition to those which would oppress us. It is our collective will to see slavery in America destroyed to its root, which will ensure history is redeemed. And on the other side of this struggle, a society where genuine freedom is no longer an illusion to be pursued, but a potential to be attained. Join us in this historic struggle. Take the fire of freedom burning in your hearts right now in the midst of this congregation back to your communities and galvanize them to action. Refuse to accept anything less than total abolition. Refuse to accept the existence of systems of social containment. Refuse to submit to racist murder and irrational violence. Build a unity that can never be sundered and our vision of a new society will be realized. You are the redeemers of history and now is your time. Seize it. Think on these things. Think on these things. They are cause for great meditation. Oh, no, 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 no.
Abolition. 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 Abolition.